0: the Old Testament, the book of Nehemiah chapter 8. This coming July, our nation will celebrate our 231st birthday. I've always been somebody who loved American history. One of the things I really like to think about and read about is the faith and the vision that our forefathers had as they built our country. Without a doubt, when our forefathers came together to build this nation, uh, there were physical needs that needed to be met, and Our forefathers were very good at taking care of that. But they also believed that there was a spiritual element to our society that needed to be taken care of as well. Today in our classrooms, in our schools, our students are being taught revisionist American history. And what I mean by that is that history has been rewritten. Many of our school textbooks are rewriting history in order to remove God from the textbooks obliterate the fact that God actually had a part in the beginning of America and that our founding fathers had a deep, abiding faith in God. Two years ago, when I was preparing the message for our Thanksgiving service, I did a little bit of reading, and one of the things that I learned is that the high school textbooks have taken out reference to God during Thanksgiving. And the high school textbooks are telling our children that the pilgrims didn't thank God at Thanksgiving time, They thanked the Indians. That's revisionist history. We've also been told lately that Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin were not really men of faith, that mostly they were agnostic, and their views toward separation of church and state, uh, they really thought that religion ought not to have a place in American government. That's revisionist history. I think uh, maybe some of you are aware that neither Thomas Jefferson nor Benjamin Franklin were what we would call born-again Christians, but they were certainly men who believed that the Bible was the foundation of our government, and right government must have the Word of God as fundamental to its to its uh, construction. And you don't have to go all the way back to the Declaration of Independence in the, in the original Founding Fathers to find people who believe that that's true. In the 20th century, Woodrow Wilson said this he said america was born to exemplify that devotion to the elements of righteousness which are derived from the revelations of holy scripture and when woodrow wilson uh, spoke about the holy scriptures he, he he wasn't talking about the quran and he wasn't speaking about the book of mormon not the vedas of the hindus he was talking about This holy Bible right here. That's what he meant by the holy scriptures. And those men believed that right government can't exist without acknowledging the right God. And the fact that that God rules over the affairs of men. Well, these first seven chapters of Nehemiah are about meeting the material needs of the people. They they had a wall to build. Certainly, they needed to build that wall for their protection. But it's also a time of meeting spiritual needs... And as we move on into the 8th chapter here, the focus now becomes the spiritual needs of Israel. Tonight, I want to speak to you on the subject, how to rebuild a nation. And in the 8th chapter of Nehemiah, we actually find the secret of success, how to rebuild a nation. I'd like you to stand with me, please, as we read from Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to cover this entire chapter tonight. But as we begin, we're going to read the first 10 verses to to get us into the message tonight. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning with verse number 1. All the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate, and they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. I want to remind you here of the water gate. Do you remember that? The water gate stands for the word of God, and so it was appropriate for them to gather at the water gate to begin reading the law of God. Verse number 2, And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all they could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein, before the street that was before the water gate, from the morning until midday, before the men and women and those that could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law." And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, and Shema, and Ananiah, and Uriah, and Hilkiah, and Maseah on his right hand. And on his left hand, Pideah, and Mishael, and Malchiah, and Hashem, and Hashpadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. You try to read that list and see how you do. (laughs) Verse number 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people... And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, "'Amen, amen,' with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua and Bani and Sherebiah and Jamin, Aqab, shabbat Hodijah, Messeah, Azariah, Jozeban, Han- Hanan, Peleah, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place." So they read in the book, in the law, of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, that actually means the governor. And Ezra, the priest, the scribe, uh, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto the people, This is a holy, un- holy unto the Lord. This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You might want to underline that phrase in your Bible. That's a good one to remember. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to you tonight. I just pray that you might help us as we bring your word tonight. I ask you, Lord, you'd speak to hearts and help us to understand what our country, what this nation really needs for us to become strong and become the people of God again. We ask you, Lord, to bless each one as we hear the message tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The first seven chapters of Nehemiah deal with the rebuilding of the wall. And as we saw in our last lesson and studying chapter 7, that the wall was finished. In 52 days, despite all of the opposition that was placed against it, the wall was indeed finished. Well, now we come to chapter 8, and the focus does change from this physical thing of rebuilding the wall to meeting the spiritual needs of the people. But we needn't think that Nehemiah, during that building, during that 52 days, wasn't thinking about spiritual things because, of course, he was... Nehemiah was a man of God. He was a man who prayed. He read God's word. And he also reminded the people that they were God's people and that they also were people of God's word. But now in chapter 8, the spiritual renewal is intensifying and Nehemiah steps to the background and a new spiritual leader takes over here. Now in the next few chapters, we're going to read about Ezra. Ezra becomes prominent in these next chapters... Nehemiah was a good leader, but he knew that he was not the one to lead this spiritual revival. So he turned this over to Ezra. Ezra was the priest, he was a scribe, he was God's man for that hour. And so Nehemiah knew that it was his turn to stand in the background and let God's man take over. Now tonight I want to give you three necessities for rebuilding the nation. Three necessities for rebuilding the nation. And and these things helped Israel, and I believe that they can help us as well. Let's notice here again the first three verses. It says, "...and all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate." And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate, from the morning until midday, before the men and women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law." Well, what is the first key to rebuilding the nation of Israel? Well, number one is to read the Scriptures. This is what comes first, to read the Scriptures. The first key for a nation coming back to God is to read the Word of God, begin to recognize that the Word of God is what we stand upon. Now, this this thing is so simple and so basic... And yet there is no country that can come to God, there's no people that can get back with God until we understand that the reading of the Word of God is at the core of revival. And when Bible reading is neglected, we could expect that the spiritual values of our nation will decline. Spiritual values are the first thing to go when people neglect the reading of God's Word. So Ezra brought out the Bible, and he began to read from the book of the law. Ezra said to the people, let's take God's Word. Let's see what God's Word says. Let's begin to apply its principles, because right here, the principles of holy and righteous living and doing what God's Word says, that's going to get us back where we need to be. And so Ezra brought out the law. He brought out the Torah. He brought out Moses' laws, and he began to read those things to the people. Now, as we think about reading the Scriptures, there are three things that are important to reference the Scriptures. Three things that are important for us as we think about Scripture. The first one is to remember your roots. Going back to the Word of God is a reminder that these were God's people. This nation wasn't built upon material things. It wasn't a fortified wall. It wasn't the city of Jerusalem. It wasn't the army that made the nation of Israel great. It was God. I mean, they had a wall, and walls can be torn down. And indeed, the wall was torn down. That's why they had to rebuild it. So the strength of Israel was not in their army. It wasn't in the fortifications and not in the wall itself. The strength was in the Lord, because the Lord is the one who chose them. The Lord's the one who made them a nation in the first place. Now, folks, if we expect that we're going to right the wrongs of our nation, here is the necessary thing to do. We have got to go back to our roots. We've got to go back to the same ideas that our founding fathers had when they founded this nation, when they built this country, because when our founding fathers started America, they came to this country with their Bible in their hand. They read the Word of God. They came with respect for the Holy Scriptures. And in fact, the foundation of all the laws that are made in America, did you know the foundation for them are the very same things that Ezra wrote in the Law of Moses 2,500 years ago. When speaking about the pilgrims who came to America, Daniel Webster said, The Bible came with them. And it is not to be doubted that to the free and universal reading of the Bible is to be ascribed in that age that men were indebted for the right views of civil liberties. In other words, Daniel Webster said that when you take away the Bible, civil liberties will be destroyed. And if we look at America today, where can we trace immorality to? Where can we trace private and public immorality You can trace it to the time that the Bible was taken out of our schools. When did discipline in this country begin to crumble? It's when the Bible was taken out of our schools. When did drugs and violence become a part of our everyday lives? Think back. When? When the Bible was taken out of our schools. When we started disregarding the word of God, our nation began to crumble from within. And so to ignore the Bible means that we've forgotten our roots. And I don't think that the founding fathers of America would ever have dreamed of a country where spiritual values were, want, were not right at the very core of what we do. We valued the scriptures at one time. But today, not only does secular society not value the Bible and doesn't regard the Bible, but religion doesn't regard it either. I mean, the Bible's no longer preached from our pulpits today. You can go into the seminaries where preachers are trained today, and you'll find that the the professors in the seminaries are telling those men there that the Bible's not the Word of God, that the Bible's not infallible. The Bible's not to be taken literally. You just read the parts of the Bible that you want. And if there's things there that you don't agree with, that doesn't look right, then you can dismiss that. You don't have to follow it. Folks, here's the very reason why I believe in expository preaching. When you preach the Bible book by book and chapter by chapter, you're forced to deal with it all. You can't leave things out that you don't like. You have to deal with all of it. The Bible is the Word of God. The Bible's true, and the Bible's what we preach. Now, I think just about everybody who's here tonight is a member of the church, but I'll tell you this if you attend a church where the Holy Scriptures, where the Bible is not your gold standard, then you need to get out of that church. And if you go to a church when the preacher stands up that he doesn't expound the word of God, when there isn't good old expository Bible preaching, then you need to get out of that kind of church and you need to go to a church that does. The Bible is paramount. And Christians will not be strong, this nation will not be strong until we go back to the Bible. Now the second thing that I would tell you about the Bible, about the Scriptures, is to learn and live. The historical revisionists tell us that the founders didn't really have a Christian faith. Now, they were a little bit religious, but religion didn't rule their lives. They didn't think that religion ought to have a part of our government. Well, I want you to listen to a statement that was made by George Washington. And I want you to tell me if George Washington was or was not a committed Christian. George Washington said, "O oh, most glorious God, remember that I am but dust. And remit my transgressions, negligences, and ignorances. And cover them all with the absolute obedience of thy dear Son. That those sacrifices of sin, praise, and thanksgiving which I have offered may be accepted by thee. In and for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ offered upon the cross for me. Direct my thoughts, words, and work. Wash my sin in the immaculate blood of the Lamb. And purge my heart by the Holy Spirit. I get cold chills when I read that. George Washington said more in that statement than most preachers know about the Bible today. Here, George Washington spoke about total depravity. He speaks of the imputation of Christ's righteousness. We find in that, state, that statement the vicarious blood atonement of Jesus Christ. There's the essential work of the Holy Spirit in the conviction of sin. That's more than most preachers know today. Do you know why preaching in our pulpits today is so anemic? It's because preachers haven't learned enough about the Word of God to tell their congregations anything more about it. And so they feed them skinned milk. Today, preachers go to seminary and they learn psychology. They learn about church, church growth. I want to ask you, where's the teaching of the Word of God? Where do they teach preachers today about the Word of God? That's what you need to learn to live out your life for Christ. Now I want you to look for just a moment how high a regard these people had for the word. Look at verse number 5 again. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now, as you know, I, I like to make it a practice that when we read the word of God here at least when we're reading the text verses, that we stand as we read the scriptures. Did you know that there are some churches in Scotland today that they still make it a practice that there is a person called a beetle? That's B-E-A-D-L-E, not B-E-E-T-L-E. But there's a beetle who, he's called the beetle, and he stands outside the church, and all the congregation stands to their feet, and the beetle brings in the word of God, He marches up the aisle, and he sets it on the pulpit, and he opens it up. And then the preacher stands up and begins to preach the Bible. That's respect for the Word of God. They stand as the Word of God is being presented. Now, that's the kind of reverence that we need to have for God's Word. But you notice sometimes that that, that I'm watching, and, and people will stand for the reading as we do here, and people look bored, If you read too much scripture, they get bored with it. Sometimes they don't even glance at the Bible. People sometimes don't even follow it along or or even bring a Bible to church. You know, I can't imagine why you wouldn't want to bring a Bible to church. I mean, that's what we do here. We study the Word of God. We read God's Word. It's the most important thing that we do. But you know something? I understand why people don't bring Bibles to church today. It's because when the preacher gets up in many churches, the Bible's never read. They never even open the Bible. There's not even a scripture that goes along with the sermon that's being preached. So why bring a Bible to church? And in many of the churches, the, the preacher's reading from so many different versions of the Bible. Why do you need one anyway? You can't follow along with it. Sometimes the preacher gets up and instead of reading the Bible, he's reading the newspaper. He's got a magazine article that he's drawn his sermon from. Or maybe he's giving you a review on the latest movie that he saw. You know, folks, that, that's why I don't like drama presentations in church. I'm against that. It's why I don't like passion plays and movies that some people think that's the way that we're to use to get the gospel of Christ out. I don't believe that. I believe the thing that God told us to use is the Holy Bible. Use his scriptures. Preach from the word of God. Learn the Bible. Take the living words of the Bible down into the depths of your soul and learn to live by it. And I promise you, you will live by the words of the Bible. You know, it's sad, but there are many people in other parts of the world who have far more reverence for the Scriptures, for God's Word, than people in America do. Back a few years ago, before the fall of communism in Eastern Europe, there were people who would stand in churches for hours as the Word of God was read. As the preacher preached, there was standing room only, and people stood for hours listening to the Word of God. Right here in Roner Park... My biggest struggle is to try to make the sermon short enough so people don't get too bored as I'm preaching it. People begin to tune you out if you get over 30 minutes of uh, of preaching. Respect God's word. Learn to live by this. And I promise you, if you do, you'll be able to say with David, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Now, the third thing that I want to tell you about here is to support the shepherd. Support the shepherd when he's reading the word of God. Now, I noticed that the people weren't angry with Ezra when he opened the Bible. He spoke words to, to them that, that struck them right down to the heart. And they realized they hadn't been following God as they should. The book of the law showed them they'd fallen short of what God requires. God, who had built their nation, gave them a law to live by. And they weren't living by the law. Now, verse number 6 says, They bowed their heads, they worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Verse 9 says, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. When do you see that reaction anymore? When do people begin to weep when God's word is read? When do people get burdened about their sin so much that they bow their faces to the ground and they begin to weep over that sin? You know, the reaction that we get in church today is anger. When the preacher begins to preach about sin, people get angry about it. That's because he says, uh, the preacher says something they don't like. He, he steps on their toes and they say, it's not the preacher's business to meddle in my life. They don't like it. Friends, if the word of God is spoken, take it in. Listen to it. Be glad that a preacher stands up and gives it to you straight. Support the man of God. Encourage him as he preaches the truth of God's word. Alexis de Tocqueville said, I sought for America's greatness... I found it not in her fields and forests. I found it not in her mines and factories. I found it not in her congress and great tribunals. It was only when I entered her churches and heard her pulpits thundering against sin and preaching righteousness that I discovered the secret of her greatness. America will be great when we decide in our pulpits to return to the word of God. And we won't be great until we do it. Nehemiah knew that. Ezra knew it. There's no revival in the nation of Israel unless people get back to the Word of God. And there's no revival in America until we get back to the Word of God. Go back to reading the Bible and put those principles into action. Now, it says here also that these words were read, and there were men who stood by and gave the sense of the meaning of the Scriptures. Verse number 8 says, "...so they read in the book and the law, in the law of God distinctly, and gave the sense, and caused them to understand the reading." Now, of course, that's what preaching's all about. We take the word of God and we find out what it says and we begin to explain how that applies to our lives. Now, it's not my job to push my own agendas from the pulpit. I'm not going to try to make up things that aren't found in God's word. My job is to give you the scripture and to help you to understand what God's word says. But neither you nor I will ever understand what God's word says unless the Holy Spirit's behind it. Not until the Holy Spirit begins to open our eyes to the Word of God will we begin to understand it. And so when churches and when pastors neglect the Holy Spirit in the reading of the Word of God and the preaching of the Word of God, doctrine won't be understood. And really, it shouldn't be understood because the Holy Spirit is the one who has to reveal it to us to give us the truth. Now, I want to go on here because there's more ground for us to cover. It's necessary that we read the Scriptures, but also we need to rejoice... In salvation. Now David prayed that God would restore to him the joy of his salvation. Many Christians don't rejoice. Many Christians don't look like they're too happy at all about being saved. In our study of the Gospel of John, we've learned that one of the things that Jesus desired for his disciples, would they, have, would, they would have joy, they would rejoice in their salvation. But let me tell you something about how, why we don't have joy and how we can actually obtain it. Now, here's what's necessary. If we're going to get joy back in our salvation, first, what's necessary is sorrow over sin. Back in the ninth verse, it says, For the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Before we ever get the joy back, we've got to go back to the word of God and repent of our sins. And there are too many preachers that are calling the nation to repentance calling America to repentance, calling the world to repentance. And really, there's no repentance right here in our own hearts. And that's seeing what the Word of God has to say to us personally, being sorry for the sin that we commit. These people heard the Word. And with sorrow and contrition, that Word struck them right down deep in the heart. And it wasn't every person there looking at one another and pointing their neighbors and saying, Hey, that's for you. He must be preaching to you. No. They felt the sorrow in their own heart. There was deep introspection in this. And they looked inside to see, am I the one that he's speaking to? Have I broken God's law? And we find out that there's too many people that when the word of God goes out, when it's preached, they're looking all around the room. Who does that apply to? Or somebody will sit there, that's right, preacher, you sick them. You tell them what it's like. You go after those old sinners. And they don't even realize as they're sitting there, the word's going right over top of their heads, and the Word was intended for them. You know, I don't often preach messages where I pick out people where I have something to say. I don't have to. I really don't have to. And that's because the Holy Spirit already knows who needs what. And there are statements that I make sometimes. I have no idea who they're going to affect. But the Word of God, the Holy Spirit knows how to take that and apply it to the person who needs it. Now, Whenever you listen to the sermon being preached, don't see how it applies to Sister Sally. And don't think about how Brother Jones needs to get that message. You need to think about, about it yourself. And most of the time, you'll find out that you're the Cinderella that the shoe fits. It's speaking to you. So you'll rejoice in your salvation. You will. You'll rejoice in salvation when you do something about the sin problem. Get rid of the sin problem. Miserable Christians are those who have the sin problem. They haven't confessed and repented of their sins to God. They aren't living in the word. Isaiah wrote, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. Oh, it's miserable. There, there's no joy in your salvation if you're a Christian and you're not living for the Lord. There's no joy there. And that's because when you go to God, when you have a problem, when you need to speak to Him, you find out the door is shut. You can't get in. You can't get through. And you won't get through. Not until you confess the sin. Not until you get it right with God. Not until you see sin as God sees sin. Can you expect to have the joy of your salvation back? So there's sorrow over sin. 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Then also, if you want joy in your salvation, here's a very important piece of it. Share with someone. If you want joy, share with someone. Look at verse 10. Then he said unto them, go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and listen, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto the Lord, neither be ye sorry. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. I think it's proper that the people started out with sorrow. I mean, they should have been sorry about their sins. But the Bible says their sorrow is turned into joy. And you know that's true for us? Because this same word that shows us how far far short that we are, shows us our sin that wounds us because of sin. The word of God is the very same word that also heals us from that sin. And the word of God brings the joy back. And then when you get that joy back, when you're revived, the next thing that you ought to do is share the word with somebody else. I mean, if you've got the joy of the Lord in your heart, if you're rejoicing in your salvation, you can't keep that to yourself. It has to be told. Share it with somebody. You can't hold on to it yourself. So joy and rejoicing, it multiplies. It multiplies. Whenever a sinner comes to Christ in salvation, joy multiplies for God's people. You know, I've never been in a church service where somebody got saved or somebody got right with God that God's people didn't rejoice over that. Oh, I love it when I hear people go out on Sunday morning and they say, this is a great day, Pastor. It's been a great day today. I'm always encouraged by that. And you know, when they say it's a great day, they don't mean, well, the sun's shining and the weather's nice and we're going to go out this afternoon and, and uh, pitch a few and hit a few rounds of golf. That's not what they're talking about. It can be the worst, most miserable day of the year as far as the weather is concerned. But when somebody gets right with God, there's joy in that. Folks, there's joy when people get baptized like we did today. Thank the Lord for that. Amen. And Jesus said, likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. You Remember that TV commercial television where the little boy is talking to the other boy and he says, try it. You'll like it. Remember that? Some people need to try Jesus and they'll find out that they like him. But I've, I, I've met some people who've told me, that Jesus stuff, that's not for me. I had a man in my office, uh, well, maybe a year or so ago, was looking for a handout. And since we're here on this corner here, we're fairly prominent. People will stop in looking for money. And when somebody comes to the church and they ask, can the church give them some money? The first thing that I do with that person is sit down and begin to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before we ever talk about physical needs, we talk about the spiritual need. But I had this man in my office and and, uh, he wasn't too interested in the spiritual need. You remember when Peter was at the gate of the temple and there was a man sitting there and he held out his hand and he wanted Peter to drop some coins into it? And Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Well, this man that I was talking to, when I started to give him the gospel, he said, I don't need any of that Jesus stuff. Are you going to give me some money or are you not? I'm not. (laughs) People need to try Jesus, and they do. They find out that they'll like him. And i also tell you this, that if you start telling people about Jesus, you'll find out that you like it. It's a good thing to do. The Lord rejoices your heart. Share that with someone, and you'll find the joy of your salvation. Now, let me finish with this tonight. We've got to read the Scriptures. We must rejoice in our salvation. But thirdly, we need to respect the statutes. The psalmist said in Psalm 19, "...the statutes of the Lord are right." rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Now, the theme most of this tonight, has been about returning to the Word of God. And this is what the people did. They heard the Word of God preached. The Word of God brought conviction to their souls. They were sorry for their sin. But then they found out something. They found out, as they were reading God's Word, that there were some things that they weren't doing. In fact, there was something they, wasn't, they weren't doing that goes all the way back to the time of Joshua. They had forgotten about this particular part of the law. Let's read again, starting in verse number 14 in Nehemiah 8. "...and they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month, and that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth unto the mount, and fetch olive branches, and pine branches, and myrtle branches, and palm branches... "...and branches of thick trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went forth and brought them, and made themselves booths, everyone upon the roof of his house, and in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the street of the water gate, and in the street of the gate of Ephraim. And all the congregation of them that were come again out of the captivity made booths, and sat under the booths. For since the days of Jeshua the son of Nun, unto, the day, unto that day had not the children of Israel done so." And there was very great gladness. Also day by day, from the first day unto the last day, he read in the book of the law of God. And they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according unto the manner. So the people are reading the word of God, and they find out here that there's a particular part of the feast that they haven't kept. Now this is actually referring to the feast of the tabernacles. And when the Bible says here that they made booze, What's Well, that it's ta- talking about these temporary shelters that the Israelites made. For seven days, they would build these temporary shelters and they would go live in those shelters. The significance of that was that when God led the children of Israel out of Egypt, that for 40 years they wandered in the wilderness. They had no permanent dwelling place. And so the people, as they wondered, God was faithful to take care of all of their needs. He he made sure that Israel had everything that they needed. So God was gracious to them in very difficult circumstances. Well, for us today, it helps us to understand that we also live in a temporary place. We're just sojourners here. The Bible says we're just passing through this life, and our home is in heaven. Paul said our citizenship is in heaven. And so this is just a temporary place. The, the cares of this life will pass away. God's faithful to us that he's going to give us a home in heaven. But I want to point out to you something about these people. To return to this particular part of this feast was a difficult thing for them to do. I mean, what's the significance? I mean, why should they even do this? Why should they go back and keep this particular part of the law? I mean, it had been years and years since Israel came through the wilderness. Why go back... And do this once again. It would have been hard for them to gather up all that wood. Go get all these branches and build these temporary booze. But that's what God said to do. It's part of the statute. It's something that God says they must do. Now I want to point out to you that when you begin to follow God's law. Here's what you find. Delight not drudgery. When you begin to follow the word of God. You'll find out as you keep God's statutes, as you do what God says, keeping God's commandments, when you are in the center of God's will, delight comes over you. It's not drudgery to do what God's word says. Now, a moment ago, we read in the psalm, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And so you find out when you follow the Lord, this is fun. Now, when you try to follow the Lord without the joy and you try to follow the Lord without keeping the statutes, then following God becomes drudgery. It's difficult. It's burdensome for you. But these people got back to following the Lord, and they did it with celebration. Verse 17 says, And there was very great gladness. I mean, they weren't thinking about how hard it is to go gather up all this stuff to build these booths. They said, Let's go do it. Let's charge out. Let's do it. Let's do what God says. God will make us happy. God will bless us if we do what He says. Boy, we'll find that to be true around here. I promise you, when we go out and do what God says, we'll be happy people. You know, I think about, this is not part of my sermon, but I'll just throw it in because I can. (laughs) I'm in charge. But I think about that work day coming up on March 31st. You know, a lot of people may stay home. (laughs) Saturday, man, i got to give up a Saturday? What are you talking about, man? Give up a Saturday to come work with the church? All week long, it's been work, 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 work. How can I come over here and give up my Saturdays to help with the church? You know what I find out when I come to the church and I'm around God's people? And we may have a paintbrush in our hand. And uh, we may have a rake in our hand or a lawnmower, whatever it might be, or scrubbing down walls. When you get together with God's people and you do something for the Lord, there's delight in that. There's happiness in serving God. It's not drudgery. And if you come and do it, I promise you, you may be sore when you go home, but it'll be a good kind of soreness. You'll love it. So delight, not drudgery. But they also found out something else, and you'll find it true as well, that there are dividends from duty. Now, once again, David says in this 19th Psalm, Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. You know, if there's one lie that the devil will persist to tell you, He'll tell you, you can't have fun if you're a Christian. If you try to live a Christian life, you're going to miss out on all the fun that everybody else has. You'll miss out on the good times. That's a lie. Now, for sure, the Bible says that there is pleasure in sin for a season. Sin can be fun for a little while. And you may find out that... Who said amen? Somebody's been sinning? Is that? You'll find out there's pleasure in sin for a season because, you know, you go get into drinking, carousing around and doing things like that. Oh, that's fun for a little while. But if you become an alcoholic, it's not so fun, is it? And, and if you kill somebody with your car, that's not too much fun. People get involved in sex and things like that and they think, oh, that's a lot of fun for a little while. But when the disease comes, there's no happy outcome. Sin never brings anything good. But the Bible says, on the other hand, Jesus says, If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. So as we look at this tonight, what is the key to the rebirth and the rebuilding of the nation? Well, it's when they went back to the Word of God. They read God's law. They corrected their mistakes. And that brought them great joy. And we also find here that they went back and they consistently stayed in God's Word. Look at the beginning of verse 18. It says, also, day by day, from the first day unto the last day, he read in the book of the law of God. So the indication here is that the people asked for daily Bible reading. They wanted daily instruction from God's Word. Now, folks, right now in America, we find that we've been surpassed and eclipsed by some other countries in the area of evangelism. It used to be that America sent missionaries to all over the world And we were the leaders in evangelism. But we've come to a place in our country's history where if foreign countries don't start sending us some evangelists, it looks like, that we're no longer going to be a country that can even send out anybody. Our nation is the longest surviving government in the history of the world at this moment. Did you know that? The longest surviving government in the world right at this very moment. I think it's because of one thing. One nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Our founding fathers, according to them, if we take one God out, the real God, there will no longer be liberty, justice, and freedom for all. Let me put it to you very simply tonight. We've got to go back to the Word. We've got to go find out what it is that we're not doing and find out what it is that we should be doing And respect the statutes. And obey God's word. The foundation for America. Is God and his word. And if we go back to that. I promise you. We can rebuild our nation. Let's pray. Lord we thank you for. The United States of America. We thank you so much. For our God. Who helped us build this nation. Lord I pray that our leaders. Would return to you. I pray Lord that we would return prayer to our schools, repair the preaching of the Word of God, bring that back into our schools. I pray, Lord, that you'd bring it back. May our leaders understand that we need to go back to the Word of God. That's the foundation of all that we do. I pray for our people tonight. Pray, Lord, you might bless each of us, help us to be people of the Word. May the revival start in our hearts. And as we're revived, we can win people to Jesus Christ and see things turned around in this nation again. Bless us in the invitation time tonight, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's please.